Welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and this is episode 39. We are now on to part two of my conversation with Eric Galina, the founder of Form Trends. We're going to leap back into our chat right now, where we continue the discussion on content creation. People do hanker after, I want to enjoy reading this writer or watching this person's well well created film or listening or you know however it was and i think that uh it's something for people don't need people who are making stuff shouldn't forget that long form is still valuable and adds a lot of value uh where if yep. you are a site that is desperate to put out news as quickly as possible you cannot do mm-hmm. that's that's not your yep. that's not your bag so um yep. i, I Maybe I'm being delusional and just hoping it still means there's a place for us. <laughs> no. no, I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely an interesting time to be a journalist. But, I mean, the game has changed significantly. And, you know, when you look at what even just 10 years ago people were doing, um, you know, when I first uh, moved to this country, for example, what people were doing, there wasn't all these, you know, crazy, like, platforms where you could share, you know, snippets of video or whatever. I mean, um, I think I joined Twitter in 2008. Okay. So quite an early adopter. And yeah, I mean, it was, it it was funny because I I actually started, I got on there because, um, well, one, I wanted to see what it was about, but then I kind of stayed on there for uh, a number of different reasons. But, um, uh, it's, 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 it's quite voyeuristic, I suppose, but it's also, you know, at the time I was, um, running car design news and I had, um, hired a couple of guys, not, a, not then, but, um, later on. And I just wanted to keep tabs on them because they were working from home and I knew that they were on the, on the service. And I wanted to make sure that, um, uh, you know, they were basically putting in the hours doing the content that I was wanting them to do when they were working from home. Uh, big so it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, a good, it was a good way for me to see, you know, if, um, if they were putting in the, the time that they were billing us yeah. for. But anyway, that was later on. But I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I do have a love hate relationship with Twitter. Um, mainly because I, I find that it's incredibly good to get news mm. quickly. Uh, but at the same time, you could just go down a rabbit hole and spend hours on that thing. I don't know and, what um, you mean at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's good. But then there's also, and, and again, coming up to one of your earlier points, there's a lot of stuff to kind of mm. sift through, um, you know, and some of it is not all that good, you know. And so you've got to um, really, like, I haven't uh, gone through and, kind of weeded through my followers, but I need to like, you know, or the people that I follow rather, but I kind of need to go through and just get rid of some people or whatever, just because I, you know, for a while there, Twitter was like, I wouldn't read a newspaper. Yeah. Now it's just oversaturated and there's way too much stuff that I can't even begin to I'm, I'm very much of the same so, opinion as you there, that, uh, and I think lists may help that, but I, I do need to make a call. Um, there's just, there's just yeah. too much noise, uh, and uh, I know I'm I'm missing stuff of from people that I really do want to see what they're saying or what they're talking about or what they're you know 
article they've written or something like that. You know, I, I do want to see that. And um, so, exactly. yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. But but that's the risk kind of across all of these different platforms, right? I mean, I'm on eight different social media platforms. Um, and it, it's it's really eight. hard to keep track of. Eight, yeah. You, you must never Just sleep. Just because... <laughs> It's, it's, well, that's my business, you know, I mean, that's how I get out an article that I'm doing, you know, that's how I promote myself. And, um, I think anyone who's sleeping on that is an idiot because basically you don't like, honestly, if I, if I had gone back in time at, in, and in 2012, when I said, I'm going to start a new website, I would have not probably started a new website. I mean, there's just so many things that I could have done that was that I was thinking about and that I did kind of do, but I didn't go down that route 100%. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm spread quite thin, but you know, it's, it's like you were saying, I mean, that's the, we're in an, we're in an era now where people consume information in very mm. different ways. And in order to kind of cater to those individuals, you need to put out stuff that they will find yeah. appealing um, and you know, I mean, I, everything that I've done as well, like I've always grown organically, you know, I don't, I don't advertise. I certainly don't go out and buy followers. I mean, you can spot it in the heartbeat though, guys that do, because all of a sudden, you know, you go in the way back machine and you take a look and you see, Oh, so this guy had like 2000 followers one day, all of a sudden he's got 17,000. Um, and it's been two days. Mm. Okay. Um, something's not right there. And I mean, if you're, if you're like, um, in part of a, of an automaker and you're looking for social media influencers, quote unquote, um, you're, th that's your friend basically. I mean, you go through and you kind of look at who they're influencing and how they manage to get 52,000 likes, um, you know, uh, in the span of a week or less. Yeah, I did see a manufacturer discussing that uh, again on Twitter because that—that's basically my yeah. social media. Is uh, I don't do the book of face, although we do have a page on there because Alan does. Um, but they were saying, okay. yeah, it's dead easy to spot when somebody's bought a bunch of followers. That's that's part of the things yeah. we have to do now. Yes, unfortunately, I mean, they need to if they're going to go and give somebody some money or or, or even a car mm. or whatever. Um, to promote their brand, they need to make sure that they're being authentic. Otherwise, why would you ever want to link up with somebody that isn't? You know, what does that say about your mm -hmm. brand, right? So um, I, I, nowadays, I think it's more about the personality, and hence why I'm a little bit more kind of reserved, if you will, um, and kind of um, scared about throwing my reputation out on the line because. It's all about who you are as an individual. Like, and I, as I said before, I stand by everything that I say. If I write something that is negative, I actually try to refrain from doing that because one, it's not generally good use of mm. my time. I generally write about things that I like, um, and then I'll, you know, go all in and promote that, no problem. But if there's something that I do feel strongly about, I will write about it. Um, like, you know, my recent BMW article where I think that they've lost the plot and I'll go out there and say I it. I will and have a link in the, the show notes is, to that as well because I read that yeah. and uh, I completely agree with it. I, uh, yes, uh, sorry, I don't want to delve into that now, but <laughs> but yes. <laughs> but 
I mean, there's there's things, you know, like I said, I've been I've been around the block a few times and there's things that, you know, irk me. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll put out an opinion piece about it. Um, but for the most part, I do want to do um, cover things that I'm generally, you know, enthusiastic about um, and something that's been done well. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? It's like there's so many other people that are out there slating things and this and that. And like you were saying earlier, if you can back it up, like, you know, when I had contributors um, that I would, you know, get from the freelance pool that was vast and be able, you know, I was like paying them and so forth mm. sometimes, <laughs> but we won't go, we won't go down that route. Um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I did not enjoy my previous post was, you know, the 2000, when 2008, when things hit the fan, it wasn't a great time to be a freelance contributor. And even though I wasn't holding the purse strings, things didn't, uh, you know, came back to, uh, to me because I was the one commissioning. But, um, now that I'm in full control, I'm, you know, able to ensure that none of that will ever happen again. And that is what I mean by controlling your reputation mm, okay. as well. Uh, because now everything is up to me and I can decide I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that because, you know, Hey, I, I can't, um, pay this person or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. I feel that if someone is, is going to be, you know, um, contributing in some way that they should be compensated, mm. uh, some form as well. So, um, but you know, again, like I say, I have some good friends that do write and, um, you know, when they would write some things that I wasn't, let's say they would write something negative on a specific car or company. Um, there's, there was absolutely no problem with me publishing that if they could actually back it up, you know, it didn't, it, it couldn't just be, I don't like this because, you know, my name's Eric Galina and I said so like, it just doesn't work that way. Um, if, if you don't like it and you can, you know, break it down and say, I don't like it because A, B and C and D, then by all means, you know, that's, that's uh, a well supported argument. And, you know, if you've got the research and you're, you know, even if it's just your opinion, but you can cite fact, then But sure. that's how we start a debate, um, isn't it? That's how we start a debate. And that's where I think a lot of things are lost. Uh, talking of Twitter before social media, uh, at the minute, uh, a lot of times social media is shouting. It's basically people yes. all stood in the same room shouting and sometimes about the same yeah. stuff. Yeah. But so exactly. uh, I can understand it. But uh, I'm a work from home dad, so uh, Twitter is my the only time I get to communicate with vaguely adult people. So, uh, so that's why I enjoy yeah, it so I'm much. All of these social media things have some degree of narcissism. Oh, yeah. in them. You know, you're like, you know, you, you read and you're like, oh, man, do I really need to? You know, because the guy that's, you know, maybe not on Twitter is, you know, he may have the better ideas. You know, maybe he's out writing an article in some, um, you know, in some uh, newsletter that you've never heard of, you know, or some, you know, obscure blog or whatever, you know, and, and those are the people that you relate to. But the only way you're going to find them is is through, you know, these social media websites for, for the most part, these these social channels. But there's definitely narcissism in all of these things. And also uh, what annoys me, I suppose, is, um, you know, we're in this age where everything is supposed to happen oh, super yeah. fast. And anything that is going to take a while to 
put out and research and do a proper job is going to take some time. You're not just spewing things out 140 characters. And, you know, as a person that doesn't have a business, that doesn't have a team of 10 um, individuals working for me and a string of freelancers that I can freely, you know, freely call upon whenever, um, then it's just not going to get done as fast as it might be on others. But you know damn well that it's going to be well-researched and in-depth. And, you know, I mean, I write, you were talking about long-form journalism. All my things are super in-depth. When I get into it, I start writing about something, you know that it's the full story. You know, it's not just one half of the story or the half that they're paying me oh, to no, write. You, I, uh, the uh, stuff I've read of yours, uh, that I've, uh, and I've really enjoyed it, at no point am I reading it and going, oh, this was just a 300-word filler that he needs because he wanted to chuck something out today. That That is not the case if you go to your site. No, I find <laughs> I find little value in that, and I find little value in regurgitating, you know, press releases as well. If I don't have something that I can add to the story, I just well, won't write about it. Waste your time, uh, and it, and exactly. it diverts you and dilutes crazy. your efforts into, you know, whether it's investigating and uh, researching an article or whether it's producing something that you feel is of value. It's just a, it's a waste of you know everybody's time, really. Yeah, exactly. Waste of time and resources. I mean. And, you know, when resources are limited, look, when I when I started, I said, I want to do everything. Um, but then you realize that, well, you know, if you want to actually spend the weekend with the kids or, you know, I've got two young children, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm rarely ever home to be to put them into bed or, you know, tuck them in or read them a bedtime story or even have dinner with them. You know, it's like the only time that I see them is in the morning. Um, before I go to work and on the weekends and I, and I do my damnedest to make sure that I have some time to spend with them over the weekend and I'm not like constantly working or, you know, I give them my mm. full attention. So, but that is, you know, once a week, right? Two, two days, maybe one and a half days out of a, out of a seven day period. So it's not the best, but I realized that one if I try to go after everything like I wanted to, and I did for a while, I mean, if you go back through the archive of form trends, you'll see a lot of the things that I was covering that I finally decided, like, it's not really worth my time and effort to go out there and do this. Um, I mean, you can always go and read Autocar or Autoblog or what have you. Um, you know, they have crews of people all over the world that can write mm. these stories. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing to benefit me or the reader of my title, like read automotive news. You know, I mean, I used to write for them quite regularly and now I write less, but, um, it's, you know, because basically they, they paid my bills. But, um, <laughs> if I, you know, if I have, uh, some story like that, you know, you read it in automotive mm. news, you know, it's not like, um, uh, a straight news story. There's like little value, um, for, but for me, if you want to get into like a deep dive into, what it means or why, you know, um, this design fell short or, you know, the intricacies of what it meant or how it came to be, um, you know, in terms of like the program or the, you know, the, the dates or the timelines and all that, then you come and you read, um, you read a piece that I've written and, but you can't be all things to all people basically is what I, what I kind of, you know, realized. And it's great to have these different, um, you know, uh, media and these different channels and portals and what, whatever you want to call them available because 
you can consume information however you see fit. I particularly enjoy long-form journalism because that way I'm not restricted. I can go out there and write whatever I want and however long I want to. Sometimes I have to really um, trim it down because I write for magazines as well where you know they have a 500 words. But you go out and you interview a good designer or a design director and you talk for an hour or so. You end up having 6,000 words, right? I mean, you know, you have to – that's how Form Trend started mm -hmm. basically was – I, I had so much work off of my freelance, so much information off of like freelance activities where I was writing 500 words for automotive news, 500 words for, you know, auto and design magazine or what have you. At the end of the day, I was like, what's, you know, all this stuff is just going to hit the cutting room floor. So I started Form Trends and I said, I'm just going to put everything that I haven't used into a digestible article um, and basically I would tell uh, a different version of a design story that I had in auto and design or you know I mean clearly you can't sell things and then republish the same thing <laughs> <laughs> on your own title. People tend to so, notice that and get a, a bit work, iffy. You know? and... <laughs> yeah for, for like for like four or five years you know I mean I was rewriting articles that I had previously submitted so that I could make money off of my freelance activities and then come back and, um, you know, write a different article, a different slant, you know, or whatever on my own mm. website. Or sometimes I would just bite the bullet and write what I wanted on my own website and not submit it to anybody yeah. else, which is not, you know, sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I really did enjoy being my own boss and, you know, doing what I wanted to do and thinking that, you know, I knew my audience and, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's really what it comes down to is you need to speak to a certain person when you're and that's when, you know, you as like me or yourself as uh, an entity, as the face of the motoring podcast or the face of form trends, you know, it's it's my own brand. It's mm. me, basically. And so. I don't know. That's why I suppose I guess I'm a little, I'm a little uh, weary about um, doing any damage, you know. Um, so I need to, I need to be careful that one, I don't bite off more than I can chew, which I've done on numerous yep. occasions. Uh, but two, that I deliver the quality um, that I, I'm, I'm my worst critic. So the quality that I deem to be acceptable. Um, before I publish it, whether that be photos, videos, or articles, um, and maintain a level of you know camaraderie with the people that I'm working with in order to get the stories that I get, because there's no point in biting the hand mm. that feeds you. Um, so it's a fine line to tread, you know. It's um, I've always got to be mindful of what it is that I'm doing, but also putting in the experience and the expertise that I have into the articles that I write or the videos that I produce because I'm not a designer you know I mean I've been doing this for a long time but I never studied design um, I just know what I know because I have a sheer passion for it and you know some people have been like oh you know you've been doing this so long you speak our language you are a designer and that is very flattering did that give you a buzz I don't have yeah, I mean, I love I love it when people think I'm a designer, but I'm not going to go out and say, 
yeah, I'm a designer. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, some some guy that I used to work with with the you know, he was also church going and I, I'm convinced to this day that the only reason he goes to church is to repent his <laughs> sins. Honestly, like the guy was just like, oh man, he would just lie, 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 lie. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's honestly, you're sitting on a plane and he would sit on a plane next to somebody and, and um, they would say, oh, so are you a, a car designer? Oh yeah. Or are you a writer? Oh yeah. I mean, whatever, like, Whatever would suit his need at the time, you know, whatever <laughs> like being he would be. I mean, the guy could not write emails like forget about writing. I mean, you know, the guy couldn't write his favorite word was dot, dot, dot. Oh, no. Not even I'm not even lying. Like that's that. That was his word. Dot, dot, dot. Every email was just littered. Anyway, I don't do that. I go out and I try to be sincere and I tell people, look, I'm not a designer. I have been doing this for a long time. I might know the lingo. I might know how to articulate myself and speak about, you know, certain elements on a motor vehicle and design wise. But I didn't study. I don't have uh, a, a degree in automotive design. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist and which kind of gives me um, a I don't know. It's it's a very unique perspective because I just write what I see and I write according to my taste. Ultimately, you know, it's very personal. But that's I think that's where the game is nowadays is the personality. Right. You look at um, YouTube YouTubers, for example, or you look at all of these, you know, influencers. It's the person behind that Instagram account yeah. or person, you know, running that YouTube channel. Um, the, you know, it's all about more personalized, personal well, Somebody's following you and they go, it, it, if Eric's writing about this, then I want to know what it is because he's deemed it important or interesting enough to, to spend time mm. writing about it. So I want to see what that is. And I think, uh, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with your, um, concern or as you said you know you you, you want to tread softly so that you don't uh damage maybe a bit strong because i'm not sure that you would damage it initially because you mm. you sound like you have some very good uh self checks in there that y you'll mm. pick something up quickly it's not like you'll suddenly produce you know a hundred videos and then people go well I'm, i've walked away because i just couldn't stand it you, you'll you'll have been checking before then. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from uh, on that now. Right, I, I just want to pop back a bit into your history. How long were you at Car yes. Design News? I started working there um, on a, in a freelance capacity when I was um, in, what was it, 2006 okay. was my first assignment. Um, and then I, I basically, I was freelancing... For them, but I was also when I when I graduated uh, from Coventry's journalism program, I began um, working freelance, and I was working at Dennis. I was working for this company that I was previously working for in the states. I was working for um, uh, another uh, title here in the UK that would basically disseminate um, articles. It was kind of like a motoring research, but you know we were working on content that was featured on Yahoo and okay. other, other sites. Um, it was called The uh, the Car Enthusiast, okay. um, which has now become an editorial agency. Anyway, I, so I was doing a bunch of freelance work for predominantly for Dennis Publishing. So I was working 
on um, Auto Express and Evo websites. And, you know, it was like um, a few days a week, you know, I would go in and do some stuff. And at the same time, I was also basically supplementing my income by going in two days a week into Car Design News. So I had two part-time jobs going on at the same time. And ultimately, Dennis came up to me and they said, hey, we've got this cool project. We think you'd be ideal for it. Um, and, um, basically the project was, um, was for used, it was a new kind of used car, um, website that was meant to compete with, uh, Haymarket's Piston Heads. And I was like, well, you know, the project sounds cool, but to be honest, I know next to nothing about the used car market in the UK. You know, I've been in, <laughs> I've been here for like a year. I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> about how to market, you know, used car to your people. So, um, so basically I, I, I was, I was really, um, happy that I'd been made an offer because what it, what, what it allowed me to do was go to car design news and say, Hey guys, you know, there's, there was three of them at the time. I was like, I really enjoy the work that I've been doing here. Um, I'd love to keep doing it, but I've just been, you know, I've been given a full-time job offer over here. Can you match it? And so that's when basically they said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll match it. So it was, um, I, I just got like, I guess lucky. And, um, I went and I worked for the guy, the group of guys that started car design news. Mm. Actually it was one guy that started it. Two other guys bought into it and then they hired me on as employee number one. So it was, it was cool, you know, to work. Um, in that super small team doing something really niche. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then, you know, they sold the company in 2008. Um, I'd been made editor at that point because I started out as like, uh, I think I started out as like a sub editor when I was working part time. And then I, I became news editor and then I became editor and then, um, did just you enjoy of, editing? Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, it was, Editing is like probably the easiest job that anybody ever had because if you're you good, just break out the big red pen and go, no, if you, is that what good, it is? <laughs> editor, if you're a good editor and sadly there are a lot of really bad editors, but a good editor knows his, um, his audience hmm. based at the end of the day, a good editor knows his audience. He knows what they want to read, what they want to see, how they want to see it. And, he knows the people that he can call on to write those stories. And even if they don't write the story, he knows how to make it a compelling read. And basically, if you just depend on freelancers and they give you a bunch of content and you have no idea what you're doing or who your audience is, you're never going to be able to tailor it to suit the needs of your audience. And therefore, you're going to slip. Mm. So a good editor basically needs to know his audience at the end of the day. That's all it's about because it's, you know, I mean, if you, if you work for a decent company that pays your, your, um, freelancers in a timely fashion where they don't have to send letters saying, we're going to take you to court because this hasn't been paid in six months, which is something I regrettably had to endure. Um, then you're golden. I mean, you have a string of competitors, they, or contributors rather, they love writing for you because you pay them on time. Um, you know that you can depend on them because you pay them on time and 
because they write good stories that you can publish. Mm. And, and all you have to do is connect the dots. I mean, nothing could be easier if you know the core thing, <laughs> which is your audience. So <laughs> no, it's, it's, no pressure, everyone. No, I mean, honestly, it's... it's, it's no, but it, it, that has become a cliche uh, if, from if the passion. all these websites that say, oh, just write about your passion, do, you, do a blog on your thing, not necessarily automotive, but anything. You know, it can yeah. be underwater basket weaving, it doesn't matter. And you go, oh, but you need to know your audience. And the problem is because it's thrown in with all that whole just do what you love and everything else will, you know, the universe will revolve around you and everything will be fantastic. It gets lost, but it is very important to understand A, where, what your angle is on things and B, who you're trying to talk to and are they actually there? And if they're there, brilliant, then you can, you can carry on. But if they're not there, then you need to understand where the audience is that you want to talk to. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think yeah, that is an important thing. Most, most definitely. Look, uh, you're absolutely right. The first thing is to be passionate about what it is that you're doing, because if you don't, you're not going to go the extra mile. Mm. You're not going. Like my father always told me, he said, "Look, do what you do what you love. The money will come." Okay, and he was right. I mean, I'm still working on the second part of that, but you know, <laughs> if you if you do what you love. It's it's not it's not really work, but it'll come know? through as well. It'll come through that uh, you're uh, serious about it, that you're driven, that you're um, as you said, you're going to go that extra mile. You're going to do those extra things that if you were just working for someone and you know pushing paper around a desk for right. several hours a day because you just wanted the the, the check at the end of the month, uh, you wouldn't have the enthusiasm, the passion for. But you've got to couch it in the with some realism and some uh, professional attitude in how to how to get the second part to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have yeah. the second part, then it doesn't matter. No, you're right. You're right. And and that you know that is. I mean, that's basically the holy grail is having both of those come together. Oh, right? I know. But, yeah. I'm still, still yeah, working on it. <laughs> it's, it's easier said, it's easier said than done, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and there's a lot of people that, you know, they go into something because they're passionate about it and, you know, they'll just do it for free, you know, which is kind of, you know, one of the biggest issues facing automotive journalism right now is that people, you know, living at home or, you know, they have, family money or whatever, and they can afford to go out and do stuff without getting one red cent in return. Mm. Um, and some of these guys are good, um, but some of these guys are not. They're just free, right? You get what you pay for. Yeah. But um, it, it's, I think ultimately you have to love what you do because then you will make it, you know, you'll, like I said before, I mean, you'll, you'll make it that much better because you're passionate about it and you want to tell the story properly. Um, and then, you know, you need a, a, a core audience that you're talking to and you need to know those people that you're talking to. Otherwise, you know, like you say, it's just going to fall on deaf ears or you're not going to, you're not going to find that audience that really understands what it is that you're writing about. So again, you're just not, not making it work. Yeah. And it, and it will be hard work. 
So that's oh, why yeah. that's why you've really, really got to be passionate about it. I mean, oh, yeah. so these big. people that go, oh, yeah, well, I, I like a bit of knitting or, you know, I'm, I'm quite fond of Formula 3 or, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't mind the British Leyland years. It, it, hang on, that's, that's fine. But if mm. if you mean for this thing to be big or as in it is a very consume, time-consuming uh, entity for you and you are going to produce lots of information, then mm-hmm. by golly, it's hard work. You oh, need, yeah. You need to appreciate that. And it doesn't get it. It's not doesn't get really easier because of the effort you have to put in. So yeah. you really, really have to be passionate about it because if you're not, you will find that out within six months because you'll then go, oh, forget this. Yeah, I can't be bothered, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, Sorry, I mean, right. we're trying to solve the internet here. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> maybe maybe we, maybe we make this a seventy-two uh, email uh, subscription for people if you if you want to start something online, <laughs> sell it on to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of challenges. Time is is certainly one of them, and probably the biggest one. Mm. Um, the second is to, you know, be really careful that you don't, um, you know, burn out because, you know, you're, you, you're putting in so much time. Um, like I said before, I mean, I don't see my kids at all pretty much during the week. Um, I need to, I need to focus on, and it's incredible because when I was, like you said earlier, I mean, being an editor, yeah, you've got an editor, you can, you know, make sure that the publication is going along the path that you think it should go. And that's all well and good. You've got somebody doing your marketing. You've got somebody else doing your sales. You've got somebody else doing your content uploading. You've got somebody else resizing photos. You've got somebody else taking photos. You've got somebody else doing this. You've got somebody else doing that. You've got somebody else doing this uh, and the other. So that's great. And you, all you do basically is delegate. Um, and you make sure that the you know, the, the voice of the title comes through um, you and that it's along the lines of what the brand stands for. So are you project managing, basically? But do for you, me... When you're for, editor, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, when, is that what you're doing, basically? Well, when you're editor, you're making you're making the call. You're mm-hmm. making all the decisions as to what gets published, when it gets published, who is, um, you know, going to be writing this. Um, and And then... You work hand in hand with promoting things through marketing. You work hand in hand with sales because, you know, maybe we can feature one of their things and maybe we can get a little bit of money off of featuring what they do. And, um, you know, but when when I left and I initially just left to be a freelancer and then I realized, hey, you know, I can actually do this myself. I didn't really know what I was, you know, I was like, I mean. I've always been a bit of an entrepreneur anyway. I like to get on with things on my own and I've done it and I've proved I'm myself. I'm sensing you're not, you're not keen on uh, authority. <laughs> no, no, you know, I mean, look, I, 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 I you know, I, I'm okay with authority, shall we say. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have no As long problem. as it goes in authority, somebody else. <laughs> I, have, I have no problem taking direction. I have no problem with teamwork. I have no problem like, you know, I mean, I get on with people mm-hmm. if there's full respect there. Um, if there isn't, then, you know, then it's time to find a different ship, right? <laughs> but um, I think I think there's, you know, in the workplace, respect is probably a big thing. Mm. And, um, you know, everybody has their own kind of job to do. 
And you learn to respect that when you leave. And like for me, for example, I mean, I wear, I wear a lot of hats right now. Mm. You know, I mean, I, and and that's good. You know, I mean, it's 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 taught me a whole lot. You know, I I wear a whole lot of hats. Well, when you get to the point where you can or you want to bring people on board, no one's going to pull the wool over your eye. You're not going to know exactly what is, what should be done, and how it should be done. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I have my own beliefs. If they, but look, if they come in and they say, "Hey, I've got a better way of doing this. It's going to save you, you know, it's going to shave twenty percent of the time that you're doing this off of off of the task." Let's do this. Yes, please. You know? Yes, please. Yeah, by all means, <laughs> like, um, I'm so I'm definitely receptive and open to um, to anyone that can come up with solutions that are better than mine. I don't have all the answers, um, you know, but at the moment, I have to have all the answers because. I have to know if this section of the website isn't working and it's bringing up an error error code, what is the problem and how do we fix that and decipher it and get it sorted? Yeah. Uh, if this person can't pay online, what's the problem? Let's get down to the bottom. Let's sort that. Mm. If this person wants to what, – whatever, whatever issue that is there. You're everything. Your HR, your marketing, your sales, your operations, your R&D. You know, you, you are you are the whole kit and caboodle, and there's and there's nowhere to hide, and there's and you have no option. You, you don't have the luxury of sitting there and going, you know what? I, I just oh, no, not today. No, not no. today. You oh, don't have no. that option because, well, if I don't do it, there really is no one else. Yep. Um, yeah. So, Absolutely. so why did you leave um, car design? I, I left I left because it was I'd been there for a long enough time. I brought on two people that were fine and they were filling the void. Um, basically, I hired Owen Reedy and uh, Joe Simpson, who were coming on board as part timers, um, working two days a week. Um, I'd also managed, and the way that I got them on board was funny because. They were like Joe's Joe was a freelance contributor back before the company was even sold off. So when the company was sold off in 2008, I went to work for a new publishing company. Mm. And I thought at that time, this is great. Um, But little did I know that, you know, the basically I got an email from my former boss saying and I was away on getting married. I got married in France and I got an email I got an email while I'm away. I was away in in, in Paris from my um, from my then boss saying um, the company's been sold. No, 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 he didn't say that. Let's say let me backtrack a bit. It. I was in Paris. Mm. I got an email from him saying we need to meet up. When do you come back to L.A. or when do you come back to uh, London? And I said, well, my Eurostar arrives at 4 o'clock or whatever, but I have an evening flight out from Heathrow at 8 to catch my flight to, um, you know, I, I had my honeymoon out in Namibia. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a four-hour window where I was supposed to come back, pack a new bag, get on a plane. And he insisted on meeting me. Okay. And, and I said, <laughs> this must be quite important then. <laughs> I said, I just got married. I have like all these bills and like I have, you know, I, and, and now he's going to tell me some bad news. Mm. I got off the, the train and I met him and he handed me a Google Maps printout saying, 
this is where you report to when you come back from honeymoon. Have a nice trip. So I was I was super happy I'd gotten a job. I still had a job, right? I still had a job and I was working for a new employer and I was like, well, thank God because it's 2008 and everything is just going tits up right now. Yes, it was. <laughs> and And so I was really happy at first until I realized that I'd been working as part of a team of four. One guy was taking care of the accounting, but it was also writing. One guy was taking care of uh, editorial direction, but was also writing. Um, And he had all the ideas for the contests and all the rest. One guy who had founded the company was pure creative. He was the one that was out there, um, you know, taking all the photos, piecing it all together, making it look aesthetically beautiful on the website. And I was, you know, the only guy left. So when we got sold, those three guys basically got a chunk of money and I went to work for the new company. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, this is all right. Um, For, you know, at least I still have a job. It's 2008. But I soon realized that my contributors weren't getting paid, which was massively damaging to my relation to my reputation. Mm. And so I decided that there was only one real way to bring to make sure because after a while of like getting threatening emails and lawsuit papers sent to you by email and all of this, I realized that could that be I, quite wearing. After yeah, that. <laughs> it, was, it was really really tough. Not to mention I was you know I was pulling some long hours because I you know if you don't have contributors and you're not paying contributors, you're not going to have contributors. Yeah. So already I was down to a team of one. Where, whereby before I was a team of four, and I was, and the company wasn't paying the people they were supposed to pay for. So already I was like, "Well, this isn't going great." Um, and I kept having to manage up, and and then I had you know sales people like the sales guy basically coming over and chewing my ear off. And I was like, "I used to work from home. I'm just going to work from home to keep my focus on this project." And so I did for a large time, and then. You know, I was like, well, I'm a team of one. It's not like, you know, you, you can you force me to come into the office to interact with other people. I don't interact with other people because I don't need to. Mm. So so anyway, ultimately, I started co- to come into the office. You know, we had some sales things going on, mostly sales. And then um, the, the title that they have, which was uh, an interior motives publication, which was basically something that the company owned beforehand became rebranded Car Design News because Car Design News was the stronger brand. So I had to go in there and, you know, at that point, I, I really was trying to work on the synergy of the two, um, you know, the, the print publication and Car Design News, the website entity, not to mention all of the extracurricular activities, as I called them, that were sprouting up off of the off of the website because the brand was, was you know, powerful. Mm. And so all of these conferences started coming off you know, how could we monetize the, how could we make this site profitable? And so, you know, the conferences started coming on, branded card is unused, the sponsorships, the designers nights and all that, right? And I was instrumental in, in, in working in all of that, you know, and moving into video was something else. And then the CDN live event, which was like, you know, how do we put up quick snippets and into a CMS system that's totally not conducive. We'll just create another one. So we created a WordPress blog <laughs> that we would just like throw content into that we didn't have to, that was totally independent 
of the, you know, really creaky CMS system that we had. Um, so these were all kind of like temporary fixes, but one of my, one of my kind of solutions, um, to a problem that I was really facing was I needed people that were able, while I was doing all this other stuff, I needed people that were dependable, that could write, that had some insight on board Mm. and, you know, not write me saying, Hey, I haven't been paid for three months. What's going on? So I decided to bring Joe Simpson and Owen Reedy on board and I basically gave them each half of the week to write about whatever it is that they wanted to write about. Maybe I, sh- I shifted them some topics or they would pitch me something or, you know, usually it was like I had something that I wanted to write about or I would just ping it to them and say, hey, can you do this? Mm. And that and and so they and, and I brought them in under contract working part time. So that way I was guaranteed because they were part time kind of employed that they would get paid on a weekly basis. Yeah. That way I was sure that I wasn't going to have to chase emails or invoices rather yeah. and have to go after them and say, hey, um, you know, or after the accounting guy and say, hey, these guys haven't been paid for three weeks. They're threatening us with legal action. Um, and then at the same time, I also was given um, this was later now towards 2010 um, or I think 11. I hired on um, my first employee, my first full time news editor, because, you know, it was a news site. Right. So the name kind of <laughs> says it. It says it in the name. So you got to start putting out some content that's at <laughs> least timely. Right. Yes. So that and that that, you know, is uh, indicative of what it is that you stand for. So so I had this guy that was a fresh out of um, Coventry Uni grad who, um, you know, seemed to really know or have a passion for um, design. And so I brought him on board and he became my news editor. And, you know, um, it, it was, eh, you know, it's, it wasn't. Uh, so easy in the beginning, you know, I mean, I had to like, you know, make sure that he was hitting the mark, mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. but, um, once I had all that set up, I was like, well, you know, they don't really need me anymore. I gotta, I'm going to bail. And so I left and I started, um, freelancing again, which is what I'd been doing for pretty much my entire, um, automotive journalism career up until that point. So I went and now I had, you know, contacts and I didn't have to worry about anything else. So I started writing for mostly industry titles at the time, Automotive News, Wards Auto, um, I mean, whoever. And um, I wrote for Petrolicious. I mean, you know, I, anybody I would write, I would pitch articles to and I would write stuff. And it was always design related because that's what I've been doing for the last six years, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I... And, and yeah, again, I, I just had a lot of stuff that was left over that I couldn't put in a different um, medium. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I pitched um, articles to uh, Car Design News at the time, and um, I did write a few things for them. But then they stopped paying me like they did in the past. So, I, you know, that relationship quickly dissolved. <laughs> yeah, um, I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. You know, I mean, so I, you know, I definitely, the people that are proper journalists that, you know, research articles and write and all of that, that, you know, 
keep this business alive, they should be compensated in my view. And um, that's why I don't take on additional contributors. Um, but, you know, it's it's been hard for me in that respect because, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll commission somebody, but that's like, I could probably count the number of times on one hand that in the last five years I've commissioned anybody to write mm. um, thing for, for form trends. So that's just the way it goes, you know, but um, I... If you know, if I I think if I found someone that knew how to write and that could actively be a salesperson, like a publisher, mm. um, you know, a head of sales, I would take them on and give them half of the business in a heartbeat. Because if they're out selling things or you know making partnerships with other people where um, it's going to benefit the bottom line and we can like totally curb back freelancing or I can totally just focus all of my energy on um, form trends and you know the occasional um, talk here and there or the occasional consulting or the occasional what have you um, off of the back of what it is that my core activities at form trends are then you know I'm more than happy for them to come on board but I haven't found that person so we'll see okay well if anybody out there listening <laughs> Send their CV in. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, a lot of the salespeople that you know are not entirely green want like uh, a base salary, mm. and you know if I could afford to give somebody thirty k plus commission, I'd be all over that. Yeah, uh, but Absolutely. you know that's not how it works. No, not so, yet. Not yeah, yet. for now it's all about um, being part of the business and and coming on board with uh, you know. Potential, shall we say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I want to. Uh, I think this would be a good point to go through your car history. And um, when did you pass your test? What What age were you? Wow. Okay. Well, this. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> keep in mind, I lived in New York City and had absolutely no use at all for a motor vehicle. Yeah, it's not. It's not what? the most car friendly place. I mean, it, yeah. even though we see pictures of all the cars <laughs> and everything, it's not a car friendly city. Not really. I mean, you can walk the entire, you know, island of Manhattan in like a couple of hours, you know, I mean, it's not that big. But, you know, that being said, when I was 16 years old, and I could get a driver's license, even though I could only drive accompanied at that time, and not in the, you know, the five boroughs of New York City, but accompanied outside of those five boroughs. Um, and only during the day, it was all like very conditional. I was adamant that I was going to pass my driver's test at 16 years old, and I did. I went and I took um, some courses in uh, in Brooklyn, and on the first try, I passed my uh, I got my driver's license, and um, that was like well, probably one of the greatest days of my life, to be honest. <laughs> I was um, I was I was super happy, you know. I didn't have a car, but um, my my mother had a car that um, she kept. Um, in her driveway in uh, upstate New York. It was a 1973 Lincoln Continental Mark IV. Wow. I think that's probably longer was, than my house. It was absolutely brilliant. It was like a 14, 15-foot-long boat, two doors. <laughs> I mean, the, the doors... This more would be unseemly. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. We, you know, it had 
It had the opera windows at the rear. It had doors that were longer than a Toyota IQ. I mean, these things were, if you open that door, like, because everything was contained in that one door, you know, it was a frameless door. Mm. So every, all of the mechanicals, if you open that door, I'm not a big guy, but if you open that door on any type of incline whatsoever, that thing would just take you for a ride. It was incredible. That door probably weighed as much as like, man, I don't even, as much as that Toyota IQ, I would say. (laughs) It was incredible. That you know, the beautiful the beautiful thing about that car was brown. It had a brown vinyl roof, like an, a tan vinyl roof. Ooh. The interior was um, the just most beautiful leather seats. You know, stuff that like luxury couches are made of. Mm. And the beauty of it as well was, if you folded up both armrests, you had you know a full on bench seat in the front, so you could easily see. Like four kids in the back, three kids in the front, maybe even four, you know, five maybe even at a stretch. I mean, you could bring a lot of your friends along in this car. <laughs> so it was, it was brilliant, you know, and I used to leave and go drive around with that thing upstate and, um, you know, do burnouts, you know, put that car in neutral. It was like two tons rolling backwards, throw it into drive and just slam on the gas. <laughs> That car was incredible, but it was, you know, again, it was my mother's first car, which she had held on to because I told her that I wanted it. She moved on at this point. She was driving the fashionable Jeep Cherokee, Mm. and she was on, like, her second or – I think she was on the Grand Cherokee at that point. Did it have the wooden paneling? No, no, no wooden panels on hers, but um, she did have a Cherokee XJ, which was 1986. Uh, which was riddled with problems. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a lemon straight out of the factory. But she, she liked it well enough to get a, a Grand Cherokee when that thing came out. So it was, yeah, basically my household then, from then on, just became a, a Jeep household. <laughs> and um, But, you know, the Lincoln was still sitting in the driveway. And I remember when that poor car was on its last legs, it caught fire. And I, I pulled it into a uh, – it was summertime. I pulled it into a uh, a petrol station. On which fire. Probably, yeah, which is probably the worst thing I could have done. But I knew <laughs> that they had a fire extinguisher there. so I went And they and, would react quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I put the fire out and then, you know, we put a for sale sign on the car. And I think I sold it for like $500, $500 or something because everything was like singed under the hood at that point. But um, yeah, so then I didn't have a car for a little while. When I was up in, um, when I was up at university, I didn't have a car. I didn't have enough money for that. Um, and you know, I was living in, uh, you know, some of my friends had cars and things. But when I moved to California, that's when I got my first car myself with my own money, and it was a Golf GTI. And I remember. It was a 92 Golf GTI. Okay. And my cousin, who was living in France, told me he, – he just thought I was an idiot. He just – because I was living in California, he thought absolutely that I should be – you know, I should be driving a, um, uh, a Mustang or something like that, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, when I told him I bought a Golf GTI, he was like, what? You know, you've got to be kidding me. 
So it was, um, it was, yeah, it was funny, but I loved it um, because, well, first of all, I bought it from a guy who is uh, ex-military, which there are a lot of in San Diego, and he had put 17-inch wheels on this thing, okay. and it was, and it was so it was lowered. It was a, it was a very clean, you know, black GTI 16 valve, beautiful car. But the only issue was that because he'd lowered it, the, I think he just chopped the springs. He basically it was a very rudimentary way of lowering the car. And then he put 17-inch wheels on it. So any time that anybody sat in the back seat, the car would rub. Nice. So the wheels would just like, you know, I mean, pieces of rubber would just start flying off. So you couldn't – it was a, a, literally a two-passenger car. But fortunately, he gave me the um, the original wheels as well, those two teardrop-shaped ones, which I basically, you know, the 17-inch tires started getting way too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I put it back on the 15 teardrop-shaped alloys, which were great. And, um, and I kept that car um, for a while until um, my then-girlfriend wanted a new car. And because she didn't have a credit history, it was like, it was, you know, a good idea to go and get her a new car and to put it in, um, you know, for me to be the co-signer. Hmm. And she wanted a, uh, a Volkswagen Touareg. So we went out and bought her one of those things. And it was brand new at the time and it was great. And for, you know, value for money, it was, it was amazing. Um, but had I known that we'd be leaving a year after that, <laughs> I would have never, ever put a down payment <laughs> It's the one and only new car I, I bought, you know, and I didn't even buy it myself. It's like it was her car. Mm. The one and only new car that she and I ever bought. And I would never do that again. I mean, from now, from then on, I've always bought cars that were, you know, two years old, with, you know, 20,000 miles on it or whatever, mm. and let somebody else take the hit um, on depreciation because there's really no point in doing that. It's still relatively new. Um, and I don't need a brand new car with zero miles. Like I just don't, don't need that. But, um, when I was living in LA, um, you know, and so my wife had the, uh, the Touareg, I took her old grand, her old Cherokee and was using that on the commute up the 405 on a Monday morning and back down on a, on a Thursday or on a Friday night. But I remember what I did was I, I put different shocks, different wheels and, a whole light bar at the top because it was our Baja mobile. Mm -hmm. Take it down to California or to uh, Baja, California. So Mexico basically, and, um, go, you know, forging through rivers or go out to Anza Borrego desert state park. Cause we really enjoyed the outdoor. We enjoy the outdoors. We love camping. We love, you know, like the, the hot springs out in the middle of nowhere, San Felipe in, in Mexico and stuff like that. So, um, that was our default kind of, you know, Baja cruiser. And that's the car that I used to basically chase, um, chase the Baja, um, 500 when it came through. And that was one of the most enjoyable, but also one of the scariest experiences ever, um, that I've done, um, from, you know, from a career, like, uh, you know, from a job point of view, because, you know, when you're chasing these Baja mobiles, like, you know, huge trucks, they don't slow down. <laughs> you, need, you need to know, 
like where you can dive into when you see that plume of smoke coming up behind you because they're going at a really steady pace and nothing's going to slow them down. Like Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, seriously, you need to just dive out. I mean, out of the way as fast as possible unless you want to become another kind of insect you know, <laughs> just destroyed on their bumper. It's like, you know, that's it. They They just don't slow down. They'll cry. They'll just cruise right over you. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So when you came over to this country, then what did you? Uh, how long was it well, before you got a car? When I came over to this country, we had a car fairly quickly because um, my wife's father let us have his old Grand Cherokee. Oh well, which was like home from which home. Was <laughs> very like it's strange um, driving a car. First of all on the complete opposite side of the car. See, it wasn't the opposite side of like the the opposite side of the road that I was concerned about. It was up until that point I'd been placing myself in a certain position in the road, like myself as in my body, mm. looking out of the car and then calculating for this much car on my right side. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then when I when I switched and I was actually driving on the left side or on the right side rather, I had all this unknown you know entity on my on my left side, which was car, <laughs> but which was totally foreign to me. Right, I wasn't used to having all of that stuff over there, and so I found myself like having to you know make a conscious decision not just to keep myself in the middle of the road. That's how I knew which side to drive on, but also to calculate for where I needed to place myself in the lane mm. that I was driving on. So I wasn't straddling two lanes or going too far over onto the left-hand side of the road. Well, that's so that I mean, was, if you're in Coventry as well, you're, you're having to deal with that dreadful uh, ring road death race place. It's just, <laughs> I, I hate that road with a passion. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was not. That so, was not. so hey, we're going to swap swap the side of the car you're sitting on. You're going to completely disorientate <laughs> you as far as uh, all the where the vehicle is. And now, if you can drive around this crazy road, please, off you go. <laughs> See ya. That's Monday. Well, uh, That's Monday morning. <laughs> but just to, just to get used to it, I would actually go off on that ring road a couple of times and just go around it because I love driving and I missed driving so much when I moved out here. Like, you know, I mean. We did take quite a lot of trips, but there was no way that I was driving as much as I was doing like when I was in L.A. Because mm. um, you drive everywhere, like everywhere. So, you know, it's, there's no I'll nip down to the shops and, you know, take a, I mean, sometimes I'd take a skateboard, but that was like you'd always get in the car to go anywhere. And, and the running joke in L.A. is like anything is a half an hour from where you are. You know, and it's all relative, but it depends on the time of day you go. But there's so many little neighborhoods, but everything takes at least a half an hour to get to, right? You get in the car, you want to go see your friend's house, takes half an hour. You want to go to work, takes half an hour. You want to, it depends, again, what time you're hitting this, right? Or you want to go to the beach, get in the car for half an hour, anything that you want to do. So I was, I, I really missed driving, which is why, you know, hence the trips to Wales or the trips to London to come and see some friends or um, anywhere that we ended up going was always a drive. You know, I mean, 
um, we drove to go and, you know, see my family and friends, you know, it's like, I mean, just totally inefficient in terms of like costs, you know, in terms of expense, but it was a great way to see, you know, what I, I would never have seen had I been in an aircraft flying overhead, you know? No, not exactly. So how long did you have the, uh, the Cherokee for? Um, had the Cherokee pretty much until we moved to London. And then we got a mini, okay. which is much better suited um, for the uh, the driving around. And uh, that was my wife's car as well, um, which you know was was a great little tool to have around. Um, you know, it was it was a lot of fun as well, save for the fact that my wife is completely against driving um, a uh, a manual shift car. So that was really annoying because you get a car that has a little engine, but the real only salvation then is to have a stick shift so you can rev through the gears. When you don't, there's a big problem. And, you know, um, when you've got a CVT transmission, which I think the Mini came with, was just disastrous. But it was, it was, you know, it was her car, so I couldn't argue. You know, it was, um, it was a, a good, fun little car to have. Handling-wise, I loved it. I just didn't like the gearbox in any way, shape, or form. No, my wife had a a Mark One of the new minis, uh, mm-hmm. manual, six-speed um, diesel. Oh right, uh, Cooper diesel. Um, and I, I I did love throwing that around, uh, and that was the first car that really showed me that uh, in a diesel, the red line really means the red line. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd go right wonderful let's go Boom, hit the red line there is yeah. nothing else okay i have to change gear <laughs> first yes. few times that caught me out but then after that was like okay I, I know that's happening now but it was it was great for chucking around corners and stuff like that you could, you could oh yeah handling so much fun so well balanced i mean the only thing that was great about it was great i mean the only saving face was that I, I could put it in manual mode and like shift through the gears electronically without, you know, a clutch pedal, but it wasn't quite the same. Mm. Um, and then when, um, when my wife got pregnant, I just, uh, immediately went and got a, uh, a family car. And, you know, back then it was like, all right, we need more space. Easy. You know, I've always wanted a three series, I was gainfully employed. I went, put the down payment down, drove off. Actually, no, I'm lying. I, I, it took me a long time to find this car because <laughs> I really, really wanted. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, we we were having fun, but my wife was pregnant, so basically, we just found out. Um, you know, well, I mean, I'd found out that it was coming. It was like you know, February. I was been basically just surfing the classifieds forever because I was a specific car that I wanted and I was just scouring the, 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 the classifieds and looking through Auto Trader and looking through dealer forecourts and whatever for this one car. It was a 335. I didn't really care what color it was, but I did know that I wanted a 335 with um, because, again, my wife wouldn't drive anything um, – manual so i needed to have something that at least i would have a little bit of fun but also something that was practical so i wanted 
a 335 wagon, as I call them. You guys call them estate cars, but mm-hmm. I I did want something that was a practical family hauler, but that I could also have a little bit of fun with. Yeah, and and so I did spend quite a bit of time looking for the right car, and ultimately it came up on a um, on a dealer forecourt in um, in Essex. And so I drove out there and, you know, just basically the guy wasn't – I was trying to haggle with him. The guy wasn't having any of it because this car basically had everything that I wanted. It had a full panoramic sunroof. It had leather seats. It was a titanium silver with a black all-leather interior. It had a nav system. It had every every option that you could imagine. And I didn't, you know, in hindsight, I really didn't need the nav system because I never used that thing. <laughs> and I think it's it's a bit of an eyesore on the interior because it's got like, you know, basically it's got this bump on the uh, on the IP now, which is, you know, cloaking this screen that I never use. Um, so, yeah, it's just otherwise a perfect car. And so, yeah, I mean, I got that and I still have that to this day. Um, I haven't found something that can better it um, or, you know, something that I would want to put in some money um, to, you know, get a different car because this car is perfectly suitable. And, and now you've got the, the family. Are you still doing the lots of outdoorsy stuff? So you're, you're, you're driving, are you driving all over the country again? Yeah. Or still, yeah, sorry, I, not again. We still, we still, we still go out. We still go out and do stuff. Um, we we do a fair bit of camping in the summertime, um, but yeah, I mean, I I go on road trips quite often with it to uh, to France, you mm-hmm. know, um, or Switzerland on the ski weekend or you know ski week or whatever. Um, and we drive, you know, because one, it's nice to have the car. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, you, you you need to watch out with the Swiss. Uh, road trips though with um, you know uh, a BMW with rear wheel drive and uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't typically put snow tires on but uh, I do have these clamp on chains that'll fit around the the wheels you know but um, nonetheless it I scared myself a few a few times you know when you come down of um, down a hill towards a red light where it's like a clear sheet of ice and you're just cruising through this intersection with other cars that are seemingly oblivious to your inability to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> get the old adrenaline flowing. Make sure you're not nodding yeah. off at the wheel, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been a it's been on a few such adventures where I'm like, why did I do this again? <laughs> But uh, but uh, being a family man that I am as well, it, I do like driving because I can control the environment. Mm. Uh, yes. You know, and going on a train or a plane, it's not my environment to control. I can, I can handle the person maybe, but I, everything else that's going on, I have no effect of that. And uh, that's why I prefer yeah. to do road trips myself, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the kids, it's just a bit more stopping, you know. Yeah, because yeah, they're it. not going to sit still for as long as you will. They're not going to sit still on a ten-hour haul. No. But um, you know, if you split up that, you know, we we basically now we we split it, um, where we'll stop in Reims or something, you know, halfway, and you know, so we get time to get out of the car, stretch our legs, have a little, you know, good night's sleep, and then get back in the car and do it again. So. 
Um, whereas we do, you know, one one shot before. Now we just split it up a bit more. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, I think this is a, a, an excellent time to move on to the quickfire questions to round out uh, this chat. Sure. Um, not that I want it to stop, but I realise I'm taking up all your all your night now. Oh, uh, no. So uh, I will start with the question that I always start with, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? Well, um, there's a lot of things that excite me about the motoring world, actually. Um, one is that we're in a an incredibly kind of diverse time um where we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of cool things taking place within the uh the automotive industry you know the um, autonomy is is one that is on everybody's um kind of short list you know everybody especially in the design industry in the design community everybody you know sees autonomy as like this holy grail i i think you know for me what i really like about this particular time is we're in limbo. So we're seeing a, a huge kind of polarization where you've got all these people saying, yeah, we're going to build fully autonomous cars by 20, whatever, 2019, 2020. And you're like, yeah, come on, man. Really? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I honestly, I, you know, I don't, I don't buy that because if we're talking autonomy, we're talking city centers, we're talking, you know, um, getting people out of their cars in, in London and Paris and whatnot. With all of these obstacles like pedestrians and cyclists and um, all of these, you know, unknowns where it is, you know, the hardest place to have a motor vehicle, um, you know, react accordingly in an autonomous way. Um, so I, I'm not buying the, you know, autonomy is like at our doorstep thing. No. But it is coming. Yep. And it will happen. So what's interesting to me right now is this kind of like exploratory phase where everybody's looking at um, autonomy and, you know, right now it's like the huge thing is that stepping stone towards autonomy, which is like ride sharing, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the complete opposite end and from a designer's perspective as well is like this polarization where you've got hugely bespoke, customized vehicles that are tailored to one individual in the case of this Rolls-Royce Sweptail that was unveiled at Villa Deste. That was um, glorious. I mean, the, the, the idea of that, what, what they did was wonderful, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of it is, okay, on one hand, it's massively opulent. Yes. But, but on the other hand, it, it's fantastic that that can happen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of taking a page out of, what people used to do, I mean, you know, and let's face it, in the 30s and 40s, if you wanted to be, if you were a big shot guy and you wanted to have something um, that was unique, that spoke about you and your values, I mean, you went out and you got a bespoke, you know, tailored, coach-built vehicle mm. from any one of a number of people that were well ready and willing and able to supply you with something that was tailored to your exact needs. Or, or or requests, not even needs. It's like, yes. you know, who, who needs snakeskin, you know? But, you know, <laughs> a, you know, people wanted that, so why not? If you had the money to pay for it, why not? And so that's, that's I think, what we're finding now is we're finding a lot more um, people that are interested in per- personalizing their purchase. 
And I think that is one of the, the, the best things that's going on right now. I mean, when I was a kid growing up in New York City, I would see cars that were, you know, driving down the, the boulevard that were owned by drug dealers that lived uptown. And they always had the coolest cars with like the, the great, like, you know, the big wheels and, you know, perfectly sitting on that, you know, that incredible stance on a Lincoln Mark seven or whatever, you know, <laughs> and you were always like looking at that and, and saying, wow, that looks incredible. And the guy had done it up to suit his own tastes. Mm. And then manufacturers are like, well, you know, shit, we kind of want a piece of that pie as well. So they started offering at first it was, you know, especially in my neighborhood. I lived in um, a place that had a lot of dealerships and stuff. So they would offer these, you know, customization packages. So they'd have like one side of the dealership had like, you know, maybe six wheel options that you could choose from. So you could put that on your Toyota Camry. But, <laughs> you know, it was like and, 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 then, and then they put them on, but then they wouldn't do anything to the suspension. So it wouldn't sit right. It would ride high. It would, you know, or something, you know, but that's and then slowly manufacturers were like, well, we'll just do this straight from the factory and charge a premium because we can get it for a dollar but sell it for 1000 So, mm. you know, it was like that's kind of I, – I watched that whole thing kind of happen. And now, you know, you go into a dealership and you can specify however, you know, one choose from choose from our 10 wheels or, you know, um, that are basically coming right off the assembly line. And, and that is one thing that is great. But now we've got an even higher level – of personalization, which basically, start, as most of these things do, started out with high-end, you know, supercars like Ferraris, tailor-made, um, you know, things like that, Rolls-Royce, you know, and or the, you know, the Bentley, you know, Mulliner series, and, you know, where you can actually specify and is now trickling down. I mean, we're seeing Jaguar do it, you know, special vehicle operations, mm -hmm. and it's going... Uh, you've got other companies like Khan doing stuff for Land Rover, but if they, you know, if you want something straight out of the factory, you can even get them to do it, you know, through SVO. So, I mean, it's it's a huge market potential for them. Um, and in particular, I think it's the British manufacturers that are kind of leading the way in this regard. Um, obviously, not, not with... <laughs> not withholding um, Lamborghini and Ferrari, which have been in this game also for a little while. Mm. But it's starting to trickle down, you know, where you can have whatever paint color you want on your car. Or you can um, choose from an assortment of this. Or if you want it to match your purse, we can do that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's massively appealing right now. Yeah. Okay, then. So what worries you about the motoring world? Um, autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be flat out, you know, I'm, I, I can I can swing both ways on this. One, I see the benefits of it. I see, you know, the option of getting people out of the way, um, you know, and leave. And for a while, I, I honestly believe that we will do that, you know. And um, but you can't be uh, you can't be naive about it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the whole thing about autonomy is that. 90% of all accidents are caused by driver errors. So you take the driver out of the equation and there you go. You got a lot less accidents to worry about and insurance rates fall and et cetera, et cetera. It's safer. Well, what about 
the guy that actually enjoys driving, you know, and um, for I think it's just it's it's going to take um, it's going to be like that polar that um, personalization thing that I was just talking about where those very well healed people will be able to, you know, travel around in autonomous vehicles. Um, or in public transportation, because that's probably the first thing that's going to go. And then you're going to have the rest of us that, you know, can't afford to buy on an autonomous XYZ, you know, Tesla, what have you. Um, And we're going to be, you know, the ones that are stuck in traffic while everybody else is in this autonomous lane going to their respective meetings. Um, so there's going to be that divide again until it trickles down. And then once it does trickle down, I think motoring, you know, uh, is, is going to become, is going to become an antiquated thing. It's going to become a luxury item. I mean, niche pursuit. Absolutely. I think if you want to drive your Citroen DS, um, you're going to have to get in, you know, your autonomous car, latch a trailer to that thing. Mm put your DS on the trailer and bring it to one of those Austrian passes where you pay a toll as you do to get on one of these roads in order to have the privilege of driving well away from the city. And, you know, it's going to become one of these elitist things that only people that have enough money to have a car in a garage that they're paying rent on, or, you know, um, it's going to become like a luxury item like a yacht is nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I mean, uh, I, I have many problems with the autonomous stuff. I mean, part of my problem is the way it's being reported as though it's going to happen tomorrow. And as you said earlier, yeah. it's not. Mm. I mean, we don't have the infrastructure. I mean, the other yeah. thing that needs to be put into the points that you made out there about driving through a city is the state of the roads. Mm. A lot of them use uh, cameras to view the road and judge by the road and so many of our roads particularly in britain are appalling and do not have uh clear markings and stuff like this so for for autonomous vehicles to to take off there's going to have to be an awful lot of money spent on improving the roads surfaces and the markings Uh, i i think we will the first thing that will happen that people will really notice is there will be a dedicated lane for an autonomous vehicle on a very f- small number of routes, yep. which will basically be like another train route because it will be going to Heathrow or mm. you know something like that, something that's easy to, to control. Yes. But it's not going to go across... Um, it's not going to be for everyone and across the, this country anytime soon because you know we, we can't get 3G in large yeah. portions of this country, let alone the 5G that every manufacturer says we desperately need for this to work properly. So, you know, we we need to calm down in how we're thinking, how quick this is going to be. We're, we're getting driver assistance now. Yes. That's what we've got. And, and some of that stuff is brilliant and Mm -hmm. uh, it is great because so many people do not like driving, get stressed out by driving and therefore don't drive well in inverted commas, you know, they're not a, they're not a good person to be on the same road as. Yep. And these things will help prevent them making little mistakes that they do make now that go on to have much larger ramifications. But, you know, we, we're not going to be hailing Johnny Cabs anytime soon. No, no. I, I agree. Uh, I mean, okay, sorry. Right now to um, 
because I'm supposed to not speak on this, but I, I fail miserably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but what has been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've driven, I've driven a couple of cool cars. I think most recently, I don't, I don't get out and drive as much as I'd like to anymore. Um, I used to, you know, when I was younger and I had more time, but, um, I think you had fun. You remember that fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I think fun is an, is, is, is an important element to driving. I mean, I, I never understood people that are like, you know, I drove it in anger. I mean, I understand the expression, but I'm the happiest I've ever been behind the wheel. Yeah, I mean, that's why I, why I said just before, I was saying so many people don't don't like driving, don't enjoy it. Yeah. That's not me. No. I, I love pretty much any opportunity to get behind the wheel and go, you know, pick up a pint of milk or, what? you know, whatever <laughs> it is. Just, just, I like being in the car. I like driving. I like the... the 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 feeling of it, I like the mechanics of it. I just I just love doing it. Yeah, and when you are in a car that's like, you know, receptive. I mean, you know, let's make no mistake. You know, driving a car and design, especially, is all about the five senses. You know, every single one of those are being used, and you know, taste not literally, but nonetheless, it's in there in some other form. Um. But the way that a car sounds, the way that it, you know, it it feels, the the way that it looks, I mean, everything. Mm. Um, so I think if I was to cite a more recent example of something that I drove that was absolutely amazing and that I would go out and buy if I didn't have a, a family, is a two-seat Mazda MX-5. Because that car is like, you know, very much the horse and the rider. And that's basically what they sell. But in this case, it's very true. Mm. And what I love about it is just its utter simplicity. Um, it's very communicative. It's very, very well balanced. It's not like, you know, has, it doesn't have huge wheels. It doesn't have a lot of power. But what it does have is it, it's like almost a cerebral quality. It's like, you know, you just you get in it connects with you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you with it and driving that, go, rowing through the gears, taking it through the turns, going down through some canyon roads, um, growing, even opening the top is like, you know, you, 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 you flip a thing and you just push it back. Oh, the whole thing is like a one handed operation. You could like, you know, pull the roof up as you're driving going 10 miles an hour by you know with your own arm it's a, mm. i mean that stuff like that is really what's cool you know i think a lot of cars have gotten way over complicated and they don't need to be that complicated you know at the end of the day you need something that makes you feel good you need something that does certain things that you expect it to i mean nowadays you know age of technology and so forth but you don't need you don't need it to drive itself you don't need it to park itself i mean come on um all of those things are great, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I, I've driven autonomously and, you know, to be honest, it scares the hell out of me. Um, I don't like being taken for a ride. Maybe I'm a, too big of a control freak, but I don't like the car making decisions for me. Like I drove, you were talking about Volvos earlier. I drove Volvo V90 that was autonomously powered, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 
it's not autonomous entirely because they still rely on you to kind of give it some input. And in this case, it relied on me, you know, to uh, to tell it that it, it wasn't on the highway anymore when we took the off ramp on a, uh, onto a, uh, a, a regular road where <laughs> speed limit was no longer 70 miles an hour. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> one thing that scared me was, you know, as you're driving down, oh, we're on a two lane carriageway. And you did mention earlier the road marking, mm. but then there's also, you know, the weather issue, right? Mm. So, you know, what happens when there's a slight dusting of snow and it gets confused or rain or whatever, yep. you know, and I'm sure you got both. But there's that, okay, earlier I was also talking about how um, when I switched from driving on the, um, uh, you know, on the right-hand side of the car to the left-hand, or rather the left-hand side of the car to the right-hand. Um, and that, how it, how it's, how it messed with my mind a little bit. Now, when I'm driving in a lane, I always, if I'm passing a, um, a lorry or whatever, Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more on the, on the right than I would normally. Yeah. Just because I want to give him a little bit more room just in case he doesn't see me. He starts to drift into my lane yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, the autonomous car doesn't care if there's nothing next to you or if there's an 18-wheel lorry next to you because it's keeping in the same position in the lane regardless. Mm. So if you have to, if the guy starts to fall asleep, starts drifting off, and the automatic or the sensors don't react, and you're in autonomous mode, you've got to be quick to say, "Oh, you know, maybe I should get out of this guy's way, otherwise he's going to run me over." Yeah. So, and that's why I think it's important. It's something I've banged on and on and on about on the on the news show, is that the language that's being used about autonomous vehicles, it, it needs to be changed because we don't have any autonomous vehicles. We have vehicles with driver assistance. Yes. And at the minute, the driver has to be primed at any fraction of a second to take over again. Mm-hmm. And the way that it has been uh, marketed and the way that certain uh, YouTube viral videos have been allowed to go out and not stomped on from manufacturers means that people think that it is just driving itself all the time and we don't have to worry about it. And that's not what its capabilities are. No. And there's far too much trust being placed on these um, things because, you know, we're not there yet. You know, I mean, I used to use a Windows 95 laptop a lot. So I trust no technology at all anymore. <laughs> I'm waiting at any second for it to go really badly wrong. <laughs> well, you know, at, the, at the same time, I don't want to appear like I'm completely anti-technology. I think there's a lot of things that are that have really, you know, helped us and streamlined our lives and mm. our lives easier and, and helped us along with the many chores that we do. But I'll, I'll just cite one example. A few years ago, I was driving a Lexus. What was it? It was uh, a GS, I think it was. And I was in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I was driving this car. And, you know, all of these technologies are starting to find their ways on to predominantly luxury products. And it was equipped with all of these, you know, driver assistance features, which, you know, I, I didn't really know that they were all on. Mm. But in... In, uh, in in L.A., I think in California in general, I mean, they have five-lane highways, 
and you're allowed to pass pretty much in anyone. They don't have, uh, you know... So it's not move right. over to the outside lane and... Well, no, I mean, it should be keep right except to pass, and those signs are up and signposted, but no one pays attention, and no one tickets, and no one... Uh, <laughs> okay. It's a free-for-all. So, so when you're <laughs> on the highway and you want to go a bit faster, I mean, everybody's everybody's driving the same speed on different lanes. So if you want to get ahead, you're just kind of play a game of Frogger, basically. <laughs> you know, you jump from one lane to another and you pass several cars. And it's just, it's an accident waiting to happen because other cars are doing the same thing in different lanes. And then, you know, sometimes they come together in one lane. Anyway, I've seen that happen more often than I can remember. But so in this one, in this one instance, there was a guy on the on the outside lane, so on the fast lane, that was driving the same speed as the two other cars. But I had enough time to kind of get up close enough to the car in front of me before changing lanes and then passing the car that was in front of me yeah. before coming back and then continuing on my merry way. Because they're, they're all you know driving the same speed on three different lanes. But I didn't realize that this Lexus had the distance... Um, warning kind uh, of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. set on. So as I'm getting closer and I start to make my maneuver, the distance wasn't enough between myself and the car in front of me. So as I'm changing lanes, the car, the brain in the car basically senses the car in front of me and applies the brakes, <laughs> which was the worst possible thing I could Just have done. Just as you go to overtake just as I'm trying to change lanes into the guy. So that was like, that scared me. Mm. And I quickly, you know, made sure that all of those driver assistance, you know, things were off, you know? I mean, but that's perfect for the person that sits in the middle lane in this country. Yes. And you know, we, we have issues with people who sit in the middle lane in this country. Yes, yes. Uh, you, you, you've enjoyed to... that. Uh, and yeah. it's perfect for them because they just sit in that lane. They set the... Cruise control to whatever speed it is, usually 62 mile an hour or something ridiculous, mm-hmm. and then go, and then just go, and I made it to the other end, and it was, what a wonderful journey, ignoring the carnage around them and behind them and all the rest of it, yeah. exactly. <laughs> because they're oblivious to so much stuff. But, yeah. I mean, that's why that stuff's in there. I mean, I, I've had a car recently for a week, and it had, uh, it the setting it had for noticing a car in front was at its longest reach. Ooh. Which was massively further ahead than I would if I, before I knew it was there and then disengaged it, uh, was was a huge gap. Yeah. It was slowing. And I thought, well, if I in this country, if I indicated and pulled out with the gap I need to keep going at the speed I'm doing, yeah. people would hunt me down with flaming <laughs> torches and pitchforks. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it. it, it refinements are needed on the assistance and we're not there for the autonomous. But going back to the car that you uh, enjoyed to drive, Alan is yep. now dancing around if he's not actually driving his MX-5. Uh, delighted right. to hear that. And <laughs> so, yes. Okay, then conversely, least yes. favorite car to drive and why was that? Again, I mean, I, I, I love driving. If I'm behind the wheel, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know... Okay, least happy moment. <laughs> <laughs> my least happy I think you know what um, nowadays you're you're conditioned by the media you hear things and you you know so I 
I, I remember when I first when I first came over to this country, I kept hearing, um, you know, I was repeatedly told um, what an Alfa Romeo should be. Right? Is the quote was every enthusiast needs to at one point in their lives own an Alfa. Right? Yep. Yep. So I was like, well, I'm an enthusiast, you know. So, <laughs> so I, um, I I I was in. I was invited out on an Alfa Mito launch, ah, yeah, and yeah. Um, and you know, I, so I, I had these expectations, right? I had these lofty expectations of the Alfa Male brand, and I was like, "What the hell is this thing?" You know? <laughs> and I remember, I remember, it wasn't just about what it looked like or anything like that. I was like, "Well, you know, I mean, it does kind of look like a a bird, you know, and uh, you know." It, it's not particularly appealing, I, I thought, to me, especially in the front face. I was like, well, I don't really get it. But um, I wanted to give it, you know, the benefit of the doubt. But I remember I was – so I was on a launch somewhere down by Brighton, you know. And um, it was one of the early times that I was driving, um, you know, as well in this country. So I and, – and the guys on this, you know, the Alfa Romeo test drivers or whoever it was, was – you know they were giving it some, and they were they were doing stuff that even uh, you know uh, considerably younger than I am now. I was like, I'm not willing to take these. They were like passing on blind turns, like you know, just going crazy with these cars. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna hold back. But nonetheless, I was I was still pushing this thing, and it was so wallowy and just not giving me the feedback that I that I kind of expected that it would. And it was like. You know, if it had been the Fiat 500, kind of drove the same way. But that's a Fiat 500. Mm. You know, expect it to be soft, and you know, you expect it to kind of dump it. Uh, you know, well, it's, it's supposed to be the car for the people, isn't it? Right, right. So you, you well, the Mito is meant to be this sporty, yeah, hatchback thing. And I guess it just didn't deliver on that brand promise. Mm. You know, I had this, you know, these expectations. Join the queue on that one. <laughs> You know, and and I was I was severely disappointed. Now I mean I hear I haven't been in a recent Alpha, but I hear the the you know the uh, the Julia and so forth and attempts to right some wrongs in that area. I, yeah, I, I want to hear uh, another six months down the line when people revisit it, mm. because particularly with Alpha, I think definitely in this country we are so desperate for them to be good mm. that. Sometimes we're a, some of the reviews are a little bit more hope over reality. I think because when these people when when there's a review six months down the line with a different model, it's like it wasn't as great as we thought it was. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite poor in these areas and stuff like that. So I yeah, I, I really hope it works because a rear wheel drive Alfa Romeo it's wonderful. I, I want more of that, please. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's the thing. I just want I want good alphas, please. Please yeah. make good alphas. That's, <laughs> that's what will save the brand is good stuff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, then um, I'm going to move on to uh, what car would you like to own next? Ah, well, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm quite happy with the car that I have now. And well, as your kids like- get older, then it'd be a five series. Yeah, well, maybe, but, um, you know, perhaps. I mean, with the uh, giant key, a twenty a twenty ten one wouldn't be bad. Again, I wouldn't be buying new. So, um, but 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, I quite like wagons, mm-hmm. but my wife is also partial to SUVs. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big SUV fan, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm a family man with two young kids. I'm thinking, you know, maybe Porsche McCann, Ooh, you know, yeah. something that's yeah. not big, but, you know, it would make my wife happy. Mm. It looks but It looks it, fantastic in the blue they've got. I think it's just a great looking car. It's a perfect it balance. It did everything that the the other one didn't though. Was it the um the Cayenne? The Cayenne didn't when it launched. Yes. It, it, and I think it's it's less it's more Porsche, mm. you know, it's um, you know, uh, and so I think, you know, size-wise, I think it would suit our needs. I mean, I don't know. It's uh it might be a bit too small, but I, you know, the thing is, if you ask me tomorrow, I would change my mind. You know, if you ask me tomorrow, I, I would probably pick something entirely different. And my my taste and my kind of, I change day to day, like every like every car enthusiast, I think. You know, but yeah, we have, that's exactly we're enthusiasts. You know, we have my, that, my, I, because I'm thinking in this mode, this is the car. As yeah. you say, tomorrow I'll be thinking in perhaps a a different mode, and I'll want yeah. something not tomorrow, as practical. I'd want <laughs> yeah, maybe I want an RS4 tomorrow. You know, I don't know. Mm. It's yeah, it's like kind of it, I, my mind changes. That like, is only I, a snapshot in time. That question. That's yeah, all that is. <laughs> it changes. It changes so frequently that I couldn't even tell you. It's like I I fancy that, and then you start looking online, and then you're like, oh, and then all of a sudden you're down another rabbit hole, and you're looking at like nineteen, you know. I don't know, 1973 Mercedes Benzes or something. You know, oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> That's it. I keep, I keep looking back and going, oh yeah, W one two three, and then if yeah. I get the oily bits a bit, you know, <laughs> nicer brakes, and then yeah, that'll be perfect. Stop doing yeah. that. Stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, you know. Okay, uh, what is your favorite road to drive on? Ah, uh, my favorite road is probably Route One. In California, State Route One, Pacific Coast Highway. Okay, is that the one that had the dreadful landslide on it? They always have landslides. Every year, they there's a new stretch of road that's been you know decommissioned or that needs fixing. I mean, because of where it's located, and you know, it's right on the precipice. Of, you know, if there's rain, and usually there's rain in the winter, there'll be a landslide which will wash part of the road away okay. and um that's just the that's just how it goes you know um california doesn't get that much rain and when it does usually there's landslides that come along with it and they wash off a section of the road but that road goes straight up to vancouver so um Ooh, i mean I, that'd be a hell of a road trip yeah the one that i'm really like familiar with is the one between monterey and la Mm-hmm. Because you know, I'm, I'm always on that road. Um, every summer, I drive up from LA to Pebble Beach, and um, and I always, I mean, I don't care that there's a faster route. I I take that road um, at least from James Dean Memorial Highway up because it's um, it's it's an incredible road. And unless you know, the only drawback is because it's a two lane highway, you end up getting behind some, you know, nitwit in a, in a rental Mustang that's driving 20 miles an hour and has never seen <laughs> their lives, Texas or something. Um, or, you know, you get behind the caravan and there aren't many caravans, but there's some RVs. So, mm. you know, bigger motorhomes and things. Um, but you know, if they're, 
usually you can pass pass them and and if they get too much of them and you get into too much of a tailback you just you know pass um park the car in a in a layby and and uh or one of the numerous scenic um venues and you just wait it out yeah yeah okay then um I'm going to be interested to hear this one though. What is the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Hmm. Is well, that mm, because you have many choices, or <laughs> no? I think all of them, if I'm honest. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a few things that, um, you know, if we're just looking at technology now. Mm. I think there's a few things that have value, um, like those those uh, headlamps that go around corners. You know, the ones that uh, move when you turn the steering wheel. Yes, I think those are brilliant. Yes, but anything other than that, like something that's not kind of aiding the driving function or convenience or anything, I think there's a lot of pointless optional extras. That you know, I mean, the probably the worst one is like rust proofing. You know, where the dealership offers you to rust proof the bottom of your car. Like they didn't do that at the factory. You know. Well, that's that's that always seems to me to be up there with um, when you buy a backpack and they say, "Oh, do you want a waterproof cover for it?" <laughs> Excuse me, I'm supposed to go hiking into the wilds, and now you, why why wasn't that in the thing? That's <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that there's, there are some things that are useful, you know, I mean, even if they're considered to be gadgetry, like the backup cameras, for example, you know, those are actually quite useful. I do. I, I, um, I don't need them, but they do help me out a lot. Yeah. Uh, And for people who are really not comfortable with reverse parking and things like that, I think they're vital. Yes. Yes. But they also, you know, that's again, the trust thing, right? It's like you rely on these things too much. Mm. Oh yeah. So if anything, and they, and there will be something that's out of the field of view of that camera. Mm. Um, and you know, if you, if you hit it, then, you know, I mean, you're the only one that's to blame, even though you've got this, you know, extra that's meant all the vision and all the pings. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, I think a car is, is best when it's really kept simple. And, you know, obviously luxury cars and all that, you know, you can have a lot of amenities in cars that, you know, help you feel a certain way. And that is conveyed through the materials and obviously through the design, but through the colorways and things like that. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are now being sold to people where, you know, we really don't need that, yeah. you know? Yeah doesn't make you safer it doesn't make you a better driver it just kind of adds to more distraction or more to you know no i agree i agree um penultimate question now uh, who do you think i should talk to after speaking to you well there's there's um there's a journalist that i quite like and i think he's from new york as well um but i i really like where he's kind of coming from um with the articles that he writes. Um, I mean, he's, his name is Alex Roy. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and he's, he's claimed to have completed what was formerly known as the cannonball run a little over 31 hours, I think mm-hmm. um, driving coast to coast in the U S 
in 31 hours is is kind of is is crazy. <laughs> yes, that that that's a bit of a way. Like yeah, most I people think... fly it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it takes six hours to fly it. Yes, in a plane um, that goes quite um, quick. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean when 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 my when my wife and I moved to cross country, we did that trip in six six and a half weeks, I think it was. So to drive across the country in thirty one hours is kind of crazy, but but nonetheless, I'd love to I'd love to find out a little bit more about this guy because he you know he writes like I said he writes interesting articles on the mm-hmm. future of the car on autonomy. I mean, he's a proper journalist. Though, oh you know? yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's it's it's you know the stuff that he writes is well researched. He drives a Morgan around New York, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got crazy three wheeler as well. He's got a three wheeler exactly. So that's just a character that I would just love to find out. Besides, like his little racing thing and his, you know, his um, I think he he rents cars as well. I mean, he does all sorts of things. But I just like to find out a little bit more about the man you know behind it right like find out who he is yeah because he's he's a big proponent in autonomous vehicles but he's equally harsh on people or manufacturers that are claiming certain things when they're not true or in his opinion aren't true so he he does come across as quite balanced he's just done a journey in india okay uh with um ed niedenheim niedenheimer Mm. I may have mispronounced that, but they're on yeah. Autonocast podcast. They're, there's three, and those two are on the Autonocast podcast, um, okay. where they are talking a lot about the technology side of things. But they they drove the Renault Quid or something <laughs> across a big portion of India. Uh, and I think the conclusion was... All these people saying we're going to have autonomous cars tomorrow can forget it. They need to come here and experience what travel is like in a pretty much non-regulated route. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I, so that was very interesting. Um, that thing, yeah. but yeah, no. To get Alex Roy on would be would be awesome because I, I think he's a very interesting chap, um, and I and I think he's doing it the right way. The stuff that he's yeah. talking about is it, it's being done in the in the right way. Like I say, he's. He's not fawning over any bit of technology. He is really trying to get to the the nuts and bolts of it and understand it and be able to interpret it for um, people like me who are much more of a Neanderthal with these <laughs> with the technicalities. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, obviously he knows his stuff, but what I what I also like is that you know he's he's a proper journalist. I mean, he goes out and he asks the questions and he's objective and he reports and. But he also, you know, sometimes takes a very subjective stance and will say flat out what he believes and what he, you know, um, what he deems to be the truth. So mm. it's like, I, and I, I just like that. But I that's, think that's that's great. I mean, this going back to much earlier in the co- in, in our call when we were talking about uh, content that's coming out now. That's brilliant to know because he, he does make it so clear. Look, this is my opinion, and I am sticking with it because of this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I go to report the facts on this thing, that's I'm reporting the facts, and it, yep. you you know when it's his opinion and when it's a fact mm-hmm. thing, and that's um, I think we all can learn from that. Yeah, that attitude. Okay. Um, well, this is the last question now. Um, is to say, uh, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do? 
uh, visit the website. We will uh, have links in the show notes to that. Yeah, form formtrends.com. F R N F R M T R E N D S dot com. Or you can follow me on the eight social media sites I run. I mean, all all of them finish in forward slash form trends. So. I mean, I'm on. They're at the bottom of uh, Uh, one of your pages of form trends, aren't they? Because I I noticed there was. uh, There's obviously Twitter. There is the Book of Face. uh, Google Plus. That's right. Tumblr. YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Uh, See, people don't think I do any research, but I do. I do a little bit. (laughs) And now I'm running (laughs) out. Um, Yeah, I mean. I'm on. I'm on everything. Yes. If you, you know, if you can think about it, I'm on everything. I'm on, you know, Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Um, yeah. So I mean, Google Plus. No one visits that. No one goes there. But it's good for a search. We've um, still got ours. We've still got on our website. <laughs> yeah. Google you know? Plus. So. I mean, I, I use I use all of those and then some. You know, um, there's other things that aren't even on there because you know. Um, I haven't put them on like Chinese websites. I mean, it's there's there's so much stuff out there that, uh, but you you really need to sift through it all. And so you know, if your preferred uh, you know uh, way of getting information is Facebook, by all means. But you can find us on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, we're on Twitter. If you want to get us on LinkedIn, we're on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's uh, that's the thing though. It's all of these things are available, and you—you you know, if you just want to see images, follow me on Pinterest, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, you want some videos? Come and see me on YouTube. Um, you know, everything is also on the website. You are though, catering so. for all the needs. Well, the best way to come and visit and see what I'm doing is is on the website. But yeah. again, if you have a preferred media channel. Um, social media channel that is chances are I'm on that too so find me and follow me on that yeah because um, I'm publishing you know like I said I publish certain things on my website I publish a lot of things on my website but um, certain things that I'll find appealing that someone else has published you know I'll probably share it on Twitter or on Facebook or maybe a, on LinkedIn you know it's I mean if 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 I think something is interesting um, and you know, it's a well-written article or, you know, write something that I agree with, I will probably share that because, um, I'm not a team of 10, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a team of one. So if, um, somebody else wrote an article that I like, or that I was thinking about writing and they got to it first, Hey, you know, take it. Um, you know, here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of things, but then, you know, Form Trends, the website, you know, is really my home base where I try to publish as much of the bespoke stuff that I, uh, you know, then share uh, via other um, networks and channels. So, Okay, well, I'll have the website uh, in the show notes and people can go there and they will find all the links they need to find uh, for social medias, whichever is their particular brand of social media. Uh, I'll also put a separate link for the Twitter for Form Trends, uh, and I'll put a link for you in uh, Twitter as well, um, because I do enjoy when you throw out the odd uh, car spot from London or somewhere like that. Uh, that that's good <laughs> yes. fun. Talking it when you were mentioning rabbit holes on Twitter. Well, yeah, you, you're a little bit guilty of 
starting that I off am, sometimes. I am indeed. I am <laughs> but it's yeah, good to see. So, so no, I, well, um, just I love cars. So yes, quite anything car. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. Um, <laughs> Anyone yeah, would think you've got some sort of website connected with it all. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, um, there, was, there was another guy that I was thinking about actually. Oh, yeah. um, who, uh, you know, besides Alex Roy, there's another guy that was actually on the first year um, that we spoke about earlier. Now, John John Quirk. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, if I followed some of his professional life, and again, he was on the inaugural year of the Coventry Auto Journalism Program. I was on the second. Mm-hmm. But he ended up getting a job at Auto Car, I think prior even to graduating. Um, and everyone was like in awe of the guy because he, you know, did that. But he's he's now editor in chief at uh, Motor One, which is the UK arm of the website that's been buying up all smaller websites and become a major force in the motoring world worldwide. Mm. Um, so I, I I think it would be interesting to ask him on the show and just to kind of find out more about him because he's a guy that's you know he's on cars he's on bikes he's on um he's all over the place and all over the spectrum as well as far as um sharing um information um and and doing bits because while he's not like you know a journalist anymore like he doesn't i don't think he writes many articles anymore he still does go out and do the occasional video and um i saw him appear in one with uh, alex gore actually yeah the uh Focus RS new yeah. Type R video, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I'd I'd love to speak to him because they seem to be buying all the you know. It's, it, in the last twelve months, there's been a couple of sites getting a lot of talent very quickly. Yes, uh, and I'd love to see if I could uh, unpick a little bit of what the plans are for Motor One because the yeah. team he's put together there so far that I know of looks mm. pretty spectacular talent wise yeah. um uh, well i think i think it started out with um uh, a, a a former auto blog editor in chief that um decided to go off and do his own thing and i could be mistaken with who it was but basically he started in the us and he started buying up everything and then they decided that they were going to start doing regional ones, which makes a lot of sense and is quite smart so the uk one came up mm. and uh and john cork is now heading that up but um, it's it's a smart idea because there's so many little websites that are just um, you know fractioned off and no one really knows where to go and somebody's writing about this and somebody's writing about engineering somebody's writing about design somebody's doing this somebody's doing that and to bring it all and to buy everything basically and then bring it all up under one umbrella and create a really like strong thing that then you can actually you know turn revenue on is um is 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 a good idea i mean you know buy all these fractioned off sites and bring them together in one complete uh entity which is smart yeah so yeah it's uh yeah but i'd be interested to see what it is you know where they're going i mean are they going to become the next hay market are they going to become the next tennis publishing who knows yeah yeah no but it's, 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 it's what you were saying before it's, it's quite exciting time to have any interest in automotive journalism because there's these these things happening. I don't want to say disruptive because I hate that word because no. it's so overused. And anyone who mentions it in uh, transportation or uh, mobility 
or some mm. nonsense like that. I just want to throw something at them because they, they're just throwing out words. Um, but but it is it is really interesting because there's these big changes and it's going to be interesting to see how the established players like the, in, in this country particularly, the magazines that have mm. big web presences, how they react to the, because Drive Tribe was another one that um, their editorial team yes. got a lot of talent very quickly. And I know they, they want, people to basically use it like a Facebook for yeah. for cars and produce the content for them. But so yeah. it'd be interesting to see what um Motor One does and how Drive Tribe work does it work or not, I don't know. Uh, and yeah. how the established players react. And if there's still room for us little people mm. <laughs> in all this, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> but I think uh I mean you're you're very niche. Form trends is I'm... very niche, so I think that's quite safe. Yeah, I'm. I mean, that's the thing. I don't. I don't write about anything other than design. Like that's all I focus on is automotive design or vehicle design and the people in the industry, and that's it. And um, that's so. Yeah, it allows me to be really very concentrated, and um, I don't have to worry about writing about every new car because it's not in my name. Mm. But I do. Um, I do cover design very in depth and you know, I like to do that. And that's, and that's basically what people get is something that is indeed very niche and very focused, very, very targeted. And, um, that you, you just can't find that anywhere else. So, well, I'm uh, yeah, very happy to be there. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it because it's now incredibly late i've noticed i'm very sorry for keeping you yeah, keeping you no up problem. but no it's it's been an absolute pleasure i've i've had a blast uh this uh, chatting with you and listening to your opinions on stuff and 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 uh, helping me to form some opinions on things yeah the pleasure has been mine andrew thank you so much and that is the end of part two of my chat with eric thanks once again to eric for coming on rear view and chatting with me i hope you found these episodes as fascinating as i have if you would like to suggest someone who you think should come on Rearview, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, you can support everything we do at the Motoring Podcast in a couple of ways. Please go to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support to see what they are. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about this show. I want as many people as possible to hear the stories from these great guests I get on here. So until next time, that was Eric Galina, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.